G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, always great to catch up with the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the ACEO. Martin is back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be back. Uh, Martin, uh, significant weekend, the Victorian state election. Uh, The fallout from that will be... Quite serious. There'll be consequences, ramifications, uh, all sorts of things will happen. And because of uh, a landslide victory to the Labor Party that went to the voters and said, uh, we want your vote. They've been re-elected, a decisive election. But uh, some of the values that that Labor Party carries uh, will have some significant consequences. What are your thoughts on the fallout from the weekend? Well, I think it will be extensive and it will be multi-layered. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that the Libs will continue to fight with each other, making their situation worse. Uh, I think that Labor will be emboldened. Uh, Daniel Andrews was unapologetic in his victory speech, saying that they are the most progressive government and the most progressive state in Australia, and this is a victory for that. Um, that's all concerning, uh, that kind of rhetoric from him. Um, but it's interesting, you know, I mean, this was this was a, a huge, huge victory. We're looking at 7%, 9%, 12% swings to the Labor Party in key seats. Uh, there's seats that Labor never intended to win uh, that they're winning. There's a 19-year-old who had signed up to the party just a couple of months before the election uh, who won his seat uh, completely unexpectedly. Um, and you've got a primary vote figure of about 43% to Labor across the state, which is stratospheric and 30%, which is horrific uh, for the Liberals. Um, And people, uh, particularly people who are concerned about Christian values, people who are concerned about things like safe schools, religious freedom, euthanasia, LGBTI stuff, uh, a lot was riding on them in this, a lot was riding on this election for them, a lot, because uh, Victoria is the factory, if you like, for these social policies, and there's a lot of work that the Andrews government would like to do around compulsory safe schools, around taking away Christian schools' rights to employ staff who share their ethos, uh, around the fact they have an equality minister and they want to set up an LGBT... Well, they've got LGBT units within the government that enforce quotas and targets and tolerance and all these sorts of Orwellian things. Um, And euthanasia will come in in a matter of months in Victoria being... Uh, um, now legal in one state in Australia. So a lot was riding on this. And people say, well, well, did Victoria vote for um, all of these social policies? And my qualified answer to that question is I don't think they did. Um, I don't think that Victorians had the first idea what the Andrews government social agenda is. I went door knocking down there. Uh, and spent some time in Melbourne during the election campaign. And, for example, if you take the most high-profile social policy issue of the Andrews government, it would be safe schools. There's been a lot of discussion about that in the media. There's been a lot of talk, and you and I know all about it, and many of the listeners will know all about it. But I didn't find a person uh, in a full day of door-knocking who had heard of safe schools. Um, In fact, a lot of them hadn't even heard the election had been called. Uh, So they didn't vote for the social agenda. They didn't know about the social agenda. 
what they voted for was an incredibly slick campaign that was highly professional, that was carefully messaged, uh, and for a leader who looked strong and competent and for someone with a great story to tell. And I would just say that from the time I spent in Melbourne and the time I spent speaking to Liberal Party strategists in particular, I just have to say that the Liberals were outclassed, outgunned, outflanked so comprehensively that the result was not a surprise to me at all. I actually sat down at 6pm when the election coverage started and I said to the person I was watching it with, I said 10 seats to Labor, I reckon. They're going to get 10 extra seats. So I knew a big swing was on and it was because of the campaign quality. Uh, Most people thought it would be a little closer than it was. Uh, Just a a quick thought, because there's so much to cover, on a couple of things. Uh, What does it say about the Greens? The Greens were decimated uh, in that election, and it might particularly uh, say something about the way that uh, the Labor Party is so far left uh, that made the Greens a little bit irrelevant. But what are your thoughts, the fact that the Greens lost so many seats in the upper house in Victoria? Yeah, so the Greens went down to just one seat in the upper house and they've only retained by the looks of it one electorate in the lower house and they're expected to potentially gain more. Um, I think the Greens had two problems. First was incredible scandal within their own party. They had their own candidates accused of sexual abuse and there was one of their candidates that was rapping about rape and all this kind of thing. And uh, being the Greens that stand against things like toxic masculinity and violence against women, um, that was a huge problem for them. So they had massive brand damage. But also, Neil, I think you're spot on. I just think that if you're a Greens voter, you would look at the the Andrews government and say, well, here's a strong leader. Here's a guy who's really getting stuff done. I really like him. And actually, his social policies are pretty much like my social policies. So I'll vote for him. And that vortex of that strong leadership, and I tell you, an incredible campaign. It was so good. I think there's such a skills gap in campaigning between Labor and Liberal now that we're going to see it take several years, perhaps, for the Liberals to catch up in terms of their ability to run a brilliant campaign like Labor can. And, I, you know, I think that will have implications on other elections in other states going forward. Martin, uh, federal issues and the way they might have impacted on the state election in Victoria, uh, disarray in the Liberal Party, uh, all of the uh, upsets that have been going on of recent times, do you think that did play a role in some of the ways that things panned out on Saturday? Look, it's, hard. it's really always very, very difficult to say. Um, although, I, and, and historically, there's been a fairly solid understanding amongst political types that federal and state politics, there's a funny way of not mixing that, that much. Uh, people do vote state politicians on state issues, and they tend to vote differently very often federally. But I think this time was different because uh, anecdotal reports from people who were door knocking uh, for the Liberal Party Uh, during the week of the leadership spill, they actually called off their door knocking for about 10 days because they just couldn't get near a door without being abused because they had a Liberal T-shirt on. And certainly this time around, Labor ran campaign ads with Matthew Guy standing alongside Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison. Uh, So clearly things were different this time, and it was because of that extraordinary period of turbulence federally. And so I have little doubt uh, that that played a role. But of course, the outcome of this is they're all going to start pointing the finger at each other, and they already have. And there's going to be more fighting in the Liberal Party and they fight themselves better than they fight the opposition. So I'd say they're still on the downward trajectory yet, unfortunately. Interestingly, I spoke to someone who understands when the vote counts come through. And you know how when people do a donkey vote, uh, mm. they'll often draw uh, all sorts of pictures or they'll put something on there that means their, their vote is invalid. Uh, but they think that they're making a statement. Well, 
I'm told that there was a frequent crossing out of candidates and people writing the name Donald Trump. And that, of course, uh, making their vote informal. But uh, does that say something about what people might be having some sort of expectation for in Victoria? Uh, Neil, there's absolutely no doubt. And again, as I said, I spent a full day door knocking. And the one thing that struck me overwhelmingly was these people hate politics. Uh, you would go near the door and you'd say something about the election and they would groan loudly and say, I'm sick of them all. Or they'd say, I don't care. Uh, and everyone, as soon as you mentioned the political process, they got angry. And, you know, for middle Australia, much like middle America, what's the solution? Well, you want someone who's going to walk into the parliament and turn the table over and shake the joint up and drain the swamp, right? Mm. And that's how Trump portrayed himself. So I, I have absolutely no doubt that that's that's what they're trying to say. They're trying to say, I'm sick of you all. Um, and we are getting to that stage in Australian politics. Um, unfortunately, there's a, there's a void of leadership um, and there's, there's a vested interest everywhere and people just don't feel like politicians are serving them. Martin, let's talk a little bit, uh, very briefly, uh, federal government's in survival mode over this next week, really. They've got to survive yeah. until the end of this year so they can call an election early next year. Uh, it's a tough time ahead, uh, federal parliament getting back together, and uh, there's all sorts of pressures there. Uh, a quick thought on, on what you think might be happening ahead in this coming week, perhaps. Well, look, you're right. Neil, I think their greatest fear, uh, in fact, maybe their overwhelming fear, is the possibility that uh, they're going to lose control of the parliament because they've got a minority in the lower house and a minority, uh, uh, and, and, and they don't have the numbers in the upper house. Uh, and so there's, there's huge risks there. So I think that'd be panic station. Now, issues concerning which I think um, the uh, particularly Labor Party, are likely to rely on to create havoc and perhaps get their opportunity at uh, passing something unexpectedly without the government's authorisation, which would show the government's weakness and chaos. I certainly think that religious schools are in trouble. Um, I think it's highly likely that Labor will try very, very hard to get legislation through the Parliament that takes away the rights of religious schools uh, to, um, to discriminate uh, on, to uh, choose staff that share their values, to discriminate in the selection of their staff, which would just completely undermine the ethos of the school. Certainly, they'll also want some changes to the Sex Discrimination Act, which make it difficult for Christian schools to teach biblical values without being accused of just being discriminatory. So uh, that's really concerning. I'd say our Christian schools are on the ropes. Uh, I think that as a result of this instability also, there won't be any movement on the Ruddock Review. I highly doubt they'll bring that in because they know that uh, Labor has decided this is their Achilles heel because they're divided within their own party over it and they'll cause trouble. So I don't think we'll get progress on that front. I think we need to watch carefully on, uh, on um, the schools. OK, well, the LGBT agenda, we can see, has hijacked... The Labor Party in Victoria has really then hijacked Victorians in that sense. And as you indicate, Martin Isles, there's a hijacking that's going on federally as well. And there are some things that we will want to keep abreast of, but uh, some real prayer points for those who are listening to our conversation today. Uh, just uh, reflecting on Tasmania for a few moments, uh, new marriage and gender laws in Tasmania, in Tasmania with uh, transgender Tasmanians, are, uh, one headline I read celebrating as their state moves to become the first in Australia to allow the removal of gender from birth certificates. That's happening right now. Yeah, well, this is, I don't even know where to start with this one, Neil. It's incredible. Uh, so 
the Tasmanian lower house, they still need to be debated by the upper house, but I'm not sure that we have a lot of hope. We can try, but the Tasmanian lower house passed this bill, which was meant to bring state law in line with Commonwealth law on marriage. But at the last minute, Labor, the Greens and the Speaker, who has the casting vote in the Parliament, the Speaker is actually a Liberal, but she's sort of a bit rogue, uh, and they got together to put in all these new amendments uh, that uh, nobody had seen yet, hadn't been consulted on. And my goodness gracious, aren't they shocking? Um, there's things like, well, for example, there's the birth certificates one, where uh, now a uh, gender is opt-in. So a child can be born, the gender won't be recorded by default on the birth certificate. Um, you can change your gender, your sex, by statutory declaration. So you can sign a stat deck, and I can be a woman in a moment of time, uh, and I could do the same thing for my child as well if they're under 16, but I can sign my own stat deck from 16 years old. A lot of complications around that. Nobody's thought through the implications, particularly for identifying people, particularly for other records that the government might hold, medical records. It creates all kinds of problems. But even more concerning than that is that they smuggled a range of changes into the Anti-Discrimination Act. And what that means is that, uh, firstly, if you don't use someone's preferred gender pronouns, no matter what they are, and there's, there's thousands, it could be Nim and Nimself and Nur and all sorts of things, and they and... If you don't use their preferred pronouns uh, when you refer to them, uh, that is hate speech now, uh, if these laws pass the upper house as well. There's compelled speech uh, in Tasmania for the first time. It's not just that you can't say certain things. The law says you must say certain things. We've never had that in Australia before. That's deeply, deeply concerning, and it creates all kinds of conscience issues for Christians in particular. Um, but also they've added gender expression to the anti-discrimination regime. And what that means is that if somebody's behaviour is justified, if they say it's justified because of their gender identity, then you can't actually offend them on that basis. You can't uh, say anything that upsets them on that basis and you can't treat them differently uh, on that basis or it's discrimination and hate speech. So if I just... And, and people don't realise how extensive and uncertain this is. And if you read the definition of gender expression in the Act, it's very clear what they mean. And if I was to say, I'm eighth gender, I'm one of these unusual minority genders, there's hundreds of them. And that means that I'm quite boisterous and rude because it's a gender that's very large and dominant. Uh, and you decide to discipline me in my employment because I'm being rude and boisterous. And I say, well, actually, that's just my gender expression and that's protected under the Anti-Discrimination Act. Or someone says to me, Martin, you know, chill out, mate, tells me off for my behaviour. I say, well, that's offending me. You know, there's actually genuine legal... I mean, this sounds like a, 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 a world of madness and insanity that I'm invoking here. But the law actually says that this is, this is so, that these things are protected. So the, 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 the changes down there are infinitely insane, um, and I've only scratched the surface. Um, these are huge concern, and we're trying to make representations to the upper house members in Tasmania to, you know, for heaven's sake, don't pass this madness. Well, I like your descriptive words, infinitely insane. And uh, I know <laughs> listeners will be scratching their heads, wondering what is happening, thinking this is some sort of a bad dream that we're going to wake up from. But unfortunately, this is all real. And someone has to be raised up, uh, m perhaps a small army of people raised up to be able to counter some of this infinite insanity. Uh, let's finish on a, on a good high note here. And uh, I note that uh, you've, over the weekend, you welcomed uh, Asia Bibi, 
the Pakistani woman uh, and her family, they've been offered asylum here in Australia. Uh, how does this look uh, from your perspective, Martin Isles? Well, you're right, Neil. This is good. We're turning the corner to something positive. <laughs> yes. But uh, this is really good, actually. I, I'm thrilled about this. So uh, many of the listeners will know of the case of Asya Bibi, uh, who is the Pakistani Christian woman who spent nearly a decade on death row, the prospect of death by hanging, because of baseless accusations that she committed the crime of blasphemy. Um, it was alleged that she said something like, what did Muhammad ever do to save mankind? Or she drank out of a Muslim-only cup at a well. Very poor woman, uh, berry picker, five children, husband, death row, solitary confinement for nearly a decade. Just one of the most persecuted people on the planet. Um, And she was acquitted uh, of her crime of blasphemy by the Pakistan Supreme Court after a decade for lack of evidence. But of course, uh, the nation descended into chaos. There were uh, absolutely crippling protests and riots to the extent that the Pakistani government Uh, turned around and said, well, all right, you can appeal the decision, even though it's a decision of the highest court in Pakistan, uh, and also we'll put her on a no-fly list so she can't flee. Now, they are hunting her house to house with her picture to try and kill her, trying to search for her right now. She is under, apparently, military guard, um, and uh, the situation is pretty dire there, and we've been saying to the government, you know, please, please, please get an offer of asylum to this woman so that she can somehow be offered a way of escape. Uh, that pressure has been applied by us. It's been applied by some other groups and some politicians within the government as well. And finally, on Saturday, uh, Wilson Chowdhury, who is Asya Bibi's power of attorney and the guy who uh, funded her legal defence over the last many years, uh, he's in Australia right now, and he received a phone call from the Australian government to say that if Asya Bibi does not get offered asylum in Canada in the coming days, because they're in talks with Canada, then the Australian government will bring her here. So it looks like if she survives, and we trust that she does, uh, she will be either Canadian or Australian, which is a magnificent result. Uh, I'm thrilled by it, but it's not over yet. Uh, I personally don't think we should wait for Canada. I think we should get a move on. So Wilson and I are in Canberra this week. We're meeting with a very large number of government MPs, including ministers, uh, to continue to advocate for ASIA and make sure that that process actually goes through. The government delivers on its word. And we're also hosting a forum in Canberra on Wednesday night as well uh, to speak to our supporters about it. So that's a really good news story. And my predecessor, Lyle Shelton, started lobbying for ASIA some years ago. And here we are. So it's going really well. Well, there's another prayer point for listeners uh, because I think it would be a significant impacting thing to have Asia Bibi in Australia. And uh, I think that would be my prayer. And let's uh, let's hope and expect uh, for some good outcomes there. And as, as you say, uh, uh, Martin, uh, why is our government waiting for Can- uh, for Canada? Uh, but uh, let's see if uh, she can at least be in a safe place, uh, first of all. But let's hope it's Australia. Uh, look, there's so many things to talk about. We have run out of time, but always appreciate your insights. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, you can get some resources, commentary, updates on all sorts of issues that you hear us talk about each Monday at acl.org.au. That's ACL. That stands for the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au. Martin, thanks for updating us today on 2020. It's always my pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. 
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.